that uh, my text has been read a couple of times and has been expounded on and preached on. But after praying last night, I said, Lord, did I miss it somehow? But I spoke my heart and said, you better go with that, son. You better go with it. So that's what I'm going to do. And so if you'll stand with me this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read, uh, begin with verse 8. And uh, verse 8 of uh, Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Verse 17, I should, I'll add that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Lord Jesus, our heavenly Father, in the, in the presence of the Holy Ghost here today, we love you and thank you for all you do. And may, Lord Jesus, that... This word that is inspired and preserved for us on this very day, God, that you would help our ears to hear, Lord, and help me, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. That verse 13, if I had to pick a verse to be kind of the key verse out of this, they all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want to speak to you a little while this morning about pilgrims and strangers. Pilgrims and strangers. And there's some things about pilgrims and strangers that, we, that tie right into some other things that have been said. And, uh, and here it is. If you look at that verse with me closely, verse 13, you'll see that there are promises mentioned. Promises are mentioned several times in those verses. And then you'll see there, but having seen them. So there are promises that are there. But they had to see those promises. Okay, and then they had to embrace those promises. But before they embraced them, they were persuaded of them. So I would, I, I, there's several things we could look at there, but I'd like to just select three of those. One would be the promises that pilgrims and strangers have. We have promises, brothers and sisters. <laughs> we have some promises, you know. And, uh, and then having seen them, we must be able to see those. In other words, we must have a clear perspective on the promises. And then we must be persuaded. So, I would say to pilgrims and strangers, 
They're going to live by faith that Brother Chambers talked about last night, the faith that, that, that helps you to grow. There's also things that decrease your faith and have you to have your faith attacked. But to, uh, to be a pilgrim and a stranger, you must believe the promises, and then you must keep the perspective. You must see them, and then you must stay persuaded. Now, I'm not trying to be cute because all those start with the first letter P. But it just happened that way. And I think it's nice. That helps me to remember it too. Believe the promises. Keep the perspective. And stay persuaded for the pilgrims. and the, who's, Do we have any pilgrims and strangers out there today? We think about this. You know, the church has long since forgotten that that's who she is. She's, she's a pilgrim. And she's a stranger in this land. And the reason I know that she's forgotten that, for the most part, not everywhere, but for the most part, it's because she doesn't live like she's a pilgrim and a stranger because she doesn't want to be a stranger in this world. She wants to accommodate the world and wants to take on the world and be a part of the world, you see. But she's forgotten that she's a stranger to this world and in this world. But she's a pilgrim. Now think about it for a moment. A stranger is one who does not fit in. And one who's not part of a, a certain group. A stranger is one who is an outsider, a foreigner. Someone who's different, one who's not part of a social group. A stranger is one who speaks a different language, has a different custom, and is a citizen of another country. Now, those, those of you and us who have been to foreign countries, and you know you speak a different language, you don't fit in. You're from another country. Your citizenship is someplace else. But for the moment or for the time, you're there and you're among strangers. You stand out. Now, have you ever been to a strange country right by yourself? And you were there. And that's one thing to go on a missions trip and you go with Brother, Brother Yates and Brother Gans and, and some of these, Brother Finn Cannon and others, and you've got brethren with you as you walk down a strange street, you know, or drive into a strange town. But what about if you're there by yourself? You're a stranger in a strange land. You know, sometimes we don't always have our brethren with us. You know, and sometimes we have to walk alone. I don't mean Jesus has left us, the Holy Ghost has departed, but sometimes we've got to take a stand by ourselves. A stranger, you see, will, will stand alone sometimes, have to. But then there's the pilgrim part of that. You see, it's, a, it's an identity, two identities really, of the saints of God today. Abraham was a stranger and a pilgrim. I believe it was Peter when he introduced his first epistle. talked about the saints that were scattered, the elect. Strangers, you see, they had been scattered. They were strangers. A pilgrim is one who's on a journey, usually a very long journey. A pilgrim is one who is on a, a pilgrimage, devoted to traveling with a devoted purpose, striving to reach a special destination. A pilgrim would not be on a leisurely stroll or a vacation, a journey that would be leisurely, but traveling with promises, perspective, and with a persuasion. You see, he's on a journey. He's headed, he's headed somewhere. We may, not, uh, have, we may not have known many of the strangers and the pilgrims who've passed our way before, but we know some, and I dare say there's some here today. There's some pilgrims and strangers right here today, and we know that some of them have already passed on, and they passed this way before, and they are no longer strangers, you see, but they're in the very presence, in the very presence of God. You see, the kind of pilgrim I'm talking about this morning is the one who knows where he's headed. You see, he holds to those promises that are related to his destination. He keeps a proper perspective at all times. And he is one who is persuaded and committed to stay in the course no matter the cost. 
if it means death, even if it means death. The pilgrim has a resolve and a determination that cannot be shaken because his journey is not a casual stroll, you see, but it's a devoted, purposeful pilgrimage. Oh, do we have any pilgrims and strangers here this morning? Do we have any this morning? You see, he is one that entered through the straight gate and is headed down the narrow way, you see. Jesus said only a few would enter that straight gate and go the narrow way. He also said while many will choose the wide gate and the broad way. A pilgrim is one who cannot be enticed by the crowd. And everybody is doing it syndrome. He will strive knowing it will not be an easy street that he's on. But he's willing, you see, because he, he knows the promises. He believes in those promises. And he sees those. He has the right perspective on those promises, and he is persuaded, you see, he's not going to give up. He's going to continue on. Luke 13 and 24, Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. I'm reminded of that rich young ruler who came, you see, and he wanted to know what it would take to be, to be saved. He was not willing to give it all up. He was not willing to be that pilgrim and that stranger. I think about those, and I think it was in John chapter 6, where many departed and followed him no more. You see, I think about Demas. Has anybody seen him? You see, he forsook. He traveled for a while, but he gave up. He was not willing to be a pilgrim and a, and a stranger. Now, Paul, to the church at Ephesus, he described a time when they were, and this is kind of interesting to me, there was a time when they were strangers and foreigners of the household of God. They were alienated from God, he said. But how they became fellow citizens and saints of the household of God. So it depends on, you see, to whom you are a stranger this morning. You know, a stranger to this world, but not to God. Praise the Lord. Not to God. Pilgrims on the highway of holiness, you see, they know with certainty that they are strangers in this world, in a world where right is wrong and wrong is right. We live in such a place. We live in such a world. Our country is, is the moral equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is not my home. I'm just traveling through, you see. Hallelujah. There's an open door. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's our place of mission. It's our place of duty. It's our place to work and to watch and to wait for him to come. Brother Smith used to say, you know, when we were... You talk about some of the political things that are taking place in our country and some of the disappointments that we have. And, and uh, he would always say, this is not, he says, this is their world, he said. This is their world. And some of the rest of you would do the same, sometimes on a phone call, just when I needed it. You know, we would, we would uh, decide after all the things that were going on, this is their world. It's a world system, you see. It's an antichrist system. That's at play, and we see it taking place. But this hall of the faithful in Hebrews chapter 11, they were strangers and they were pilgrims. They walked by faith and they died by faith. You see, they had a faith that was worth living for, and they had faith that was worth dying for. Do we have anybody here this morning that has faith worth living for? What about dying for? Are you awake this morning? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, the pilgrim has some promises. And, and if they were all written down, I, I tried to make a little list of some of the promises that really stand out to me, and it's a long list. We can't go through all those promises, but you as pilgrims and strangers, you know those promises that God has given you. There are many of them. In the first century, you see, to be a Christian 
was to be persecuted. Have you been persecuted lately? We're not persecuted very often, are we? We, 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 we are subject to a little reproof from time again. You know, it just depends on, I guess, how bold we are. Brother Armstrong back there probably knows a little more about that than maybe some of us do. And to kind of live in our comfortable world, you know, our comfort zone, so to speak. But as a Christian in that first century, you see, it was to, to be persecuted. And they, not only by the Roman government, but by their, their family sometimes, by the, their people, by the Jews themselves. And that uh, first epistle that was written to the Jewish Christians there was to encourage them and to strengthen their faith in Christ. It was Christ who fulfilled God's redemptive purpose that had been foreshadowed in that old covenant. And then the Hebrew writer said, he's greater than, much more than Abraham, the angels. He's everything. And he was, he was stressing to them that they must not forget that. They must not forget who they belong to and what has taken place. In chapter 13, verse 22, the writer describes the epistle as a, a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement to the strangers and the pilgrims. We need that, don't we? Brothers and sisters, we need to encourage each other. And you certainly have me. And to be here in this meeting, I have been encouraged. In our text, Abraham is described as a man of faith, a man of obedience to the call of God. He was 75 years old to leave his country, the place of certainty, to go into a place of uncertainty when he was 75, 75 years old to leave that place. God promised Abraham, talk about some promises, that he was to be the head of a great nation, that his seed, you see, would be one that would be so great as the stars of the sky and the sands of the, the sea, and that uh, they, would, they would dwell there in the land of, of Canaan. He promised these things to Abraham, but when he promised him, there was at least three promises that he gave him. One was that he would have a country in Canaan. One that he would have a posterity, there would be a great nation. The other one is that he would have a spiritual seed through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. So the promises that he gave to Abraham, but at the time he gave him those promises, he was separated from his family, separated out of what was comfortable to a place that was uncertain to him. At the time his wife was barren, at the time the Canaanites were in the land that had been promised to him, and not only that, there was a famine in the land at the same time. So you think about this. God's given him a promise at 75 years old. He has no, no, no children at that time. His wife is barren. The land that he's been promised is occupied by the enemy. But on top of that, there's a, there's a famine in the land at that time. All that is going on when God promised it to him. But it's a promise, you see. Not that there was just a place, but he believed that promise enough to know that it was his promise. God had promised it to him. So Abraham believed in those promises. And he kept them before him. He never forgot them. He kept them. He had to. You think about his life. He kept them before him by believing what God had promised. Didn't, didn't Brother Smith, didn't you used to have a banner up? He said that God's just waiting for somebody to take him at his word. Did I remember seeing that here one time? Somebody give me a witness. Didn't you used to say that, brother? God's just waiting for somebody to take him at his word, right? Well, Abraham took God at his word. He kept those promises before him. You see, his soul fed Upon the promises of God. Is your soul fed this morning? Upon the promises that God has given to you? You just think about some of those spiritual promises. Promises that God has given you. He believed God in the face of a long delay. 
You know, God may promise, we may claim a promise, but we want it now. We want it immediately, you see. But it was a long, long delay in that promise with difficulties. He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Genesis 15 and verse 6. He's seen doing some things. He's just not sitting idly by. We see Abraham building altars. We see him worshiping God. We see him offering sacrifices. We see him paying tithes. We see him living by faith. You see that faith that produced faithfulness is the kind of faith he had. We see him doing some things. You see, he knows the promises. He claims them for his own, but he's not sitting around. He's serving God, and he's doing what God's called him to do. He's stepping out by faith. When Abram's faith was weakened, a man of faith such as Abraham, yes, his faith was weakened. And the reason his faith was weakened that he, he must have had some attack on the faith that he had because when he got over there and there was a famine there, where did he go? He went to Egypt. He went down to Egypt just for a little while, but I'll tell you what, he learned a lesson by that, didn't he? He learned a lesson by that. He'd already been to Bethel one time, built an altar. He comes out of Egypt and he goes back to Bethel. Now we think about Jacob going back to Bethel, but Abraham went back to Bethel before Jacob did. And so you see, he was a man of faith. And I'll tell you, I know with me, sometimes I have to go back to Bethel. I have to go back to this altar right here. You see, I know the promises that God's given me. I hold on to those promises, you see. I believe in those promises. But sometimes there are things that come by and weaken my faith. And I don't go to Egypt, God forbid. But I may wander off somewhere off this pilgrimage, you know, for a while. And I have to get back to Bethel. have to get back in that altar. So I, I admire Abraham for that. That's an example. That's a lesson for you and for me this morning. You see, even when his greatest test came, he built an altar at Mount Moriah to offer his only son, Isaac, the only begotten son. He said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. You see, he was trusting God. He was knowing that God will provide himself a lamb. The story is a wonderful story. Sprinkled throughout the account of Abraham's life, God used words like forever, everlasting. Those kind of words to describe the promises that he had made. Abraham knew that there was something beyond this world. I'll tell you, we have to hold on to that something that is beyond this world. This world system, you see, that we're passing through you know, as a pilgrim and, uh, and a stranger. A pilgrim will maintain the correct perspective. You see, he saw those. We read there were promises, and he saw those. You see, the perspective has to be maintained. The promises of God are, they're yea and amen. They're for certain. And we've got to hold on to it. And we've got to keep the proper perspective. A truly faithful pilgrim is one who will keep his heart and soul focused on those promises that God's given you. Doubt and fear, Brother Chambers mentioned it last night, will distort the vision and cause the promises to become out of focus. We've got to keep the perspective. We've got to hold on to those. You've got to see them with your eye, your spiritual eye. You've got to keep, keep a hold of those, the promises being yet future but me, must be kept in focus. The pilgrim's perspective will not be distorted when promises have been received by faith. Praise Lord. They've been seen and they've been received. That word's in there, I believe, too. They've been received. You see, when Abraham and the other faithful had not received the promises, they received them with eyes of faith, having seen them afar off. You see, when altars are built and prayer and worship is offered all along the journey, the pilgrim's perspective 
will be correct and his vision will be in focus. He'll be in focus this morning. How do we keep the proper perspective in our wilderness journey? This is a wilderness, by the way. I think you know that. We're going through a wilderness now. And how do we keep that perspective? The same way Abraham did. The same way Abraham did. He's our example. He built altars. He prayed. He worshiped God. He gave. He believed. God said, go. He went. You see, take God at his word. Live at that altar. Listen to the, to the word of God. Cares of this world, the burdens, the infirmities, the afflictions, and all those things. It will attack your faith. Hold on to that promise. Keep the proper perspective. Your eyes will become weak if you're not careful. Spiritual myopia will set in. You'll only see things, you know, that are close by. You can't see out. You can't see, you see, with eyes of, eyes of faith. The enemy of your soul doesn't want you to be mindful, you see, of the promises of God. But they must be received by faith. There are promises that are there. And they're for you. And they're for me. But we must receive those and we must, we must see those through the proper perspective. Peter wrote to them that had obtained like precious faith. He said, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given us exceeding and great precious promises. Praise the Lord. He, he wrote to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, Brother Joey that you may be mindful of the words spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Keep your mind. Who was it that said, somebody used to say, keep your mind, guard your mind. I forgot who's mentioned that early on in this meeting. Guard your mind. I, I kind of held on to that, and I think I know now what, what was meant by that. Hold on to that. Guard your mind. I'll tell you, it is the battlefield of, uh, of the enemy. Keep the perspective. Be mindful. There is a present truth, but there's a future glory. Praise the Lord. Hold on to that promise. Peter said, I will not neglect to put you always in remembrance of these things. Though you know them, do we need to be reminded sometimes? I do. Praise the Lord. I sure do. I need to be reminded. And where do I go to be reminded? Right in his book. On my knees before God. You see, I go there and he reminds me, you see. To know them and to be established in the present truth, you see. He's writing to those of like precious faith, too. Those whose faith. In Hebrews 9, 15. The mediator of the New Testament, Jesus, and his death and resurrection. The resurrection this year, Brother Joe was talking about that. Got a hold of me this year, I think, greater in greater proportions than it ever has before. Just thinking about the resurrection of our Lord. You know, and, and how that we, uh, really, you know, we celebrate the resurrection every Lord's Day. Right. I mean, I, I don't, not just once a year. I think we relegate it to, you know, a holiday and once a year. And we sing the, bring out the hymns, you know, and sing He's Alive and He Arose. And all. why can't we sing that throughout all the year? Right. Praise the Lord. But it really got a hold of my heart this year. And I got to thinking about things that we would not have. What if there had been no resurrection? Pilgrims and strangers, we'd have no hope, I'll tell you that. You know, we, would, we wouldn't, there'd be, no, uh, there'd be no new birth. I mean, you can't take away the blood, you can't take away the cross, you know, but if there'd been no resurrection it, to authenticate all that had taken place, to make it complete, to be the capstone of all the great plan of salvation, there wouldn't be any of that. There'd be no regeneration, there'd be no justification, there'd be no sanctification, there'd be no baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
Jesus had to go back to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. If he hadn't risen, he'd never gone back to the Father. You think what we'd be missing this morning if there'd been no resurrection? Really got a hold of me. And I said, Lord, forgive me that I don't think about that more often. I don't preach it. And I don't sing about it and worship the Lord who is the resurrected Lord who's alive forevermore. Hallelujah. We've got to remember those things, the mediator of the New Testament. Peter describes that inheritance. He says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. There is an inheritance. I think about sometimes, what is the difference between heritage and inheritance? Sometimes we use those, you know, interchangeably. We have a heritage. We have a great heritage, don't we? As pilgrims and strangers, we have this, we have this holiness heritage we talk about. How easily that's given up and how easily that is sold. I think we need to be like Naboth, you know, and say, I'm not going to sell my inheritance. He's basically saying his inheritance, but also our heritage. You see, but we have a great heritage. That's one of the promises, one of the promises given to Abraham. But it's our promise today, too. We know that. We know that. So we know the promises, the present truth, future glory. Peter talked about, we know the benefits of Calvary. And in this life, we're made partakers of these benefits that are wonderful benefits, these promises that we've already received. You see, then with a made-up mind, determination, you see, and with determined hearts, and through eyes of faith, we keep the right perspective. We look through the lens of God's precious Word. If you get outside of God's Word and try to make sense of anything that's taking place, you'll be confused as the world is out there. And all the experts, you know, that scratch their head, trying to wonder, you know, what is taking place. All the minds, you see, that, that, are, that are speculating on what's going to happen next, what's going to happen between Russia and the United States, and what's going to take place. You know, we keep the perspective. We see things unfolding that's already spelled out for us to some degree in the Word of God. God is on the throne, you see. So there are promises, you see, and then there's a perspective that we must have. But we must be persuaded. We must be persuaded. Having seen them afar off, the pilgrim then is persuaded of them. And he embraced them, never losing sight of the promises. Romans 4.21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he's able also to perform. Praise the Lord. Present truth, future glory. You see, the pilgrim walk is a committed walk. It's a determined walk. It's not a lollygag through the tulips. Let me tell you, it is a committed walk. The pilgrim walk is a walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. You see, there's therefore now no condemnation to them. You see, that walk after Jesus. You walk after the flesh, you're going to be condemned. Walk after the spirit. The pilgrim journey is a persuaded walk. In the spirit, led by the spirit. Persuaded means to be certain of something. And we certainly can be certain of some things today. To be compelled to go on to completion. How many people have started out, but somehow they lost sight? And this church right here, I'm sure you know some people. I know some folks. Every church that's represented here in this place today, you know people who started out, but somehow they were not fully persuaded. What an awful, what an awful story to have to relate. But we know that to be the truth. You see, the pilgrim journey is one that is persuaded to walk in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, to be certain of something, to be compelled to go on, 
to be resolved to a point of producing action, not just to talk about it, but to do something, you see, to move on, to embrace a promise as being yours, yours, your promise, you see, not turning back, being fully convinced, being diligent, knowing that God is not slack concerning His promises that are yours. Those promises, you've seen those. You have the right perspective. Now be persuaded of those. A pilgrim has promises. His perspective is proper. And he maintains that persuasion. You see, the patriarchs all died in the faith. Not, not living to see the fulfillment of those divine promises that they held on to. They saw them afar off. You see, they had that, that uh, what would you say, telescopic vision that brought them close, but they never saw them. They never received them, you see. But they had faith, and they, and they moved on. But think about today. Think about us today. On this side of the cross, the benefits, the things that they, they look for, that we have received. Do we have an excuse this morning? Do we have any excuses today? I said to somebody here recently, I don't make any excuses for God. And I sure don't want to make any excuses for myself. We do. Oh, God forbid that we make excuses on this side of the cross. You see, I'll tell you, to live in the, uh, the Old Testament saints, I'll tell you, they, uh, they lived in a different world, but they looked for a better home. They looked for a place. Abraham looked for, for a country. Abraham looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. We're looking for that same city. But some of the things that he longed for, we have already seen on this side of the cross. But we're still waiting, you see, for the remainder of it, the consummation of all. We've come too far to turn back as pilgrims and strangers. Don't, don't turn back. Continue on. Continue on. The pilgrim esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it all. I'll tell you that. It'll be worth it all, pilgrims and strangers. It was Moses who by faith forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, you see, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He didn't see what we see today, but he had faith. He had eyes of faith. Hebrews eleven twenty seven tells us that Paul tells Timothy, the blessed and holy potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, unto whom no man hath seen, nor can see the promises that we shall see him. Praise the Lord. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and yet it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. You see, we haven't seen him yet, but we shall. Are you looking for that? That's that faith. That's eyes of faith. You see, that promise that you have, you've seen that. Are you persuaded this morning? Are you persuaded this morning? You see, the promise is that we shall see him. And just a short time after, John the Beloved was given the revelation and he was carried away in the spirit and he was shown that great city. Praise the Lord. The city that Abraham looked for. The same one. He saw that holy Jerusalem descended out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was like a stone most precious. Even a jasper stone clear as crystal. Had walls that were great and high. All of that gates bearing the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The wall of the city was twelve foundations. And in them was the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21. You know the story. We're headed that way. Don't give up. Don't turn around. There's nothing to go back to, you see. Peter describes events associated with the day of the Lord. He said the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. His promise. Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought 
ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastened unto the coming day of the Lord, where in the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. One day Jesus marveled at the faith of a centurion. There was a man that came to Jesus and appealed that he would go because he had a servant that needed to be healed. Jesus had not seen such great faith even among the religious Jews that he saw in that Gentile. Matthew 8 and 11, he said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham. (laughs) With Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Don't forget your promises and don't you forget what the perspective is. Keep the proper perspective And you continue on, and you be persuaded. I can almost see the lights of the city. We sang that that chorus the other day. Is that wedding music I hear? I love that song. I reminded of that. Maybe they're just warming up and be getting ready. It may be wedding music that we hear. We can almost see the lights of the city. It's almost here. So close. It's so close. You think about death, and I know that's on our minds today, but just the the, the, I don't know if you say the, the span between life and death, but it's, it's about like that, isn't it? It's a second. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so those, who, those pilgrims and strangers who've been faithful and they're there already, but we still have a ways to go. God has left us here for a purpose. In this strange world, this God-forsaken world that we're in, He's left us here for a purpose. There's a need, you see, for for pilgrims and strangers. There, there's a need for children of God. There's a need for people that will stand up and live for Jesus. Somebody's looking, I believe, for somebody that will say, that man, that woman is a child, is a child of God. So remember the promises and the perspective. Would you stand with me? I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. As I close this morning, thinking about these, these promises we have, the perspective that we must maintain, and the persuasion that we must keep. But if you, if you have your Bible open there to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you, you probably know this very well, Peter said, An apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They were the elect, he said, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through the faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last day. Promises. Keep the perspective. And be persuaded. And don't give up. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all, child of God, brothers and sisters of the Lord, family of God, pilgrims and strangers. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all.